This is RangerCast, Episode 10, Talking Tokusatsu with Mike Dent, recorded Monday, January 2nd, 2023. In this episode, hints of new toys to come, talk about new comics, and a safe harbor for Furbis. Right, this is Ranger Cast. As always, I'm Tyler Benner's Real Volto. Uh, I have Lamar with me. Hey, Lamar. Hey, happy to be back. And we also have a special guest with us today. His name is Mike Dent. Mike is an old friend and used to co host Ranger Cast once upon a time, way back in the day. He is a voice actor who you can hear in projects like Welcome to Demon School, Irumakun, and Pokemon Masters. He's a writer, graphic designer. You may remember his podcast, R5 Central, from way back when, or his short run with the Friday Ace podcast for Otaku USA magazine. Back in 2014, he co-founded the Tokusatsu Network, a news website we still rely on today. More recently, he's the creator of the YouTube channel Vintage Henshin, and he contributed materials to Discotech's releases of Space Sheriff Gavan and Kamen Rider Black. And he was the director of Shop Factory's award-winning 55th anniversary Ultraman Day virtual event in 2021. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a mouthful, that intro here. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we'll we'll be uh, answering, uh, we'll be asking, excuse me, Mike, some questions later on in the show. So we're going to uh, get into our news. Obviously, it's been a few weeks since we've been able to have a regular sounding show since the holiday hiatus and it being a uh, rough last few weeks in the fandom but we're going to try to give you as normal a show as possible uh anywho cosmic fury wrapped a few weeks ago uh shooting new zealand we still don't know exact details of what's coming next beyond the fact there's you know, there's a 30th anniversary special, there's Cosmic Fury, and then big old question mark, especially with the uh, pending sale of um, of Entertainment One. Um, all we know, really, they've been pretty tight-lipped. All we know was that Abraham Rodriguez uh, was down in Auckland, and in terms of cameos that may turn up during the season, we don't really have anything more than that. Yeah, the wait mm-hmm. for that's going to be, I would say that the wait for that is definitely going to be killer. Um. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we know when Cosmic Fury is supposed to be on Netflix. Uh, I know it's supposed to be maybe sometime after the 30th anniversary special. That's really all we got. Mm. And uh, in other news, Melissa Flores' first issues with comics are out. Uh, I was talking to Mike pre-show. He hasn't read them. Lamar, have you checked them out yet? Uh, no, I have not yet. Um, uh, honestly, I've been waiting for a Boom comic sale, and I was like, okay, well, they've got to have one for uh, Cyber Monday. they got to have one for... And they just keep not having sales. Oh, it's like geez. I have a wife and child, so I can't, yeah. you know, yeah. drop 50 bucks on uh, to get caught up, so... Yeah, her her arc hits the ground running. Um, the Rangers get a distress call from Lord Zed. Uh, and arrive to the moon to find Goldar running scared, and Rita has returned, calling herself Mistress Vile. 
So that's exciting. And in, uh, also in comic news, there's going to be another uh, another miniseries crossover, The Ninja Turtles. is going to be written by Ryan Parrott. We got a uh, preview of the new comics um, middle of December, and uh, the, comp- the first issue is already on store shelves near you. The new series takes place several months after the original team-up in which the Rangers and Turtles defeated Rita and Shredder, and a new threat forces them to team up once more. And you can see preview pages from that issue, from that first issue, I should say, on our website, rangercast.net. This crossover isn't for me, but apparently they're for some people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's bringing two things together. It's hitting those nostalgia buttons. So, I mean, it's, I mean, if they're going to keep going, I mean, it's doing well. So, yeah, I mean, they had already done one, which I read it wasn't the greatest, but it also wasn't terrible. Um, I'm curious if this one's going to be in continuity with that. Um, I'm also curious to see if these crossovers, are they going to continue doing them? Because I know they did one with Godzilla. Mm. Um, I know they've done one with Justice League. You know, Marvel used to have the rights to Power Rangers comics. Maybe they would do an Avengers one. I don't know. Well, Marvel used to have the rights to Power Rangers comics, like, way back in the, you know, 95 or something like that, right? Something like that, I think. Um, the Wikipedia! <laughs> yeah. Um, so, also, we uh, have a... Uh, not exactly a leak. It's more like something found in the wild. A... Uh, French language Twitter user uh, discovered. I'm not. See, I don't know if they're French or Canadian. Um, discovered. Oh yeah, they're French. French. Uh, check their profile. Uh, <laughs> you know, look French, at the location. It. Yeah, uh, French Canadian. Uh, found in the wild a Lightning Collection remastered figure of uh, the Blue Ranger with power. You know, the power lance uh, and a new effects piece. I'm not sure if there's a you know unmorphed head included, but it looks like like a step up in quality from the existing Lightning Collection release. Better paintwork, all that. Mm. Uh, don't know the first thing about price point or when this would be available, you know, at a store near you. But we see a glimpse on the uh, on the box art of the 30th anniversary logo, though. We still don't have a clean version of that logo anywhere. Mm. Like you think we would have gotten like a sizzle reel or something by now? Yeah, yeah. But it's possible these toys. If I'm just spitballing here, we could hear more around the time they're ready to talk more about the uh, the special about once and always when uh, when they're ready to actually come out and say, you know, it's going to be you know out in April or whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, they might be playing it close, close to the chest because they might need to make edits um, and changes. You know, obviously, there's been a few things uh, that have changed kind of long term what Power Rangers can do. Um, and so rewrites might need to happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of changes, the box art for the upcoming Decker Ranger box set from shout factory has mostly been fixed you're um, welcome <laughs> that was you i had a hand in that yeah <laughs> so i can't say too much else 
but uh yeah no i i had a, a hand in that that's my, my one of my little contributions and yeah, to, to bring people up to speed when the first images of the uh the box set appeared fans noticed that not only was the portrait of the team from a publicity shoot for SPD for Primer's SPD, but every single one of the four photos in the bottom of the box was specifically from Power Rangers SPD or even like Disney promo art. Like there was seriously a photo of Grum on the box, which come on. <laughs> and the SPD publicity shot is still front and center on the box, but that's something I honestly, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that was um, that was one, just one of those things. It's like, oh wait, people are talking about this, and then I kind of just did some nudging. But uh, yeah, that so yeah, I, 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 let that be my my good deed, my first good deed of 2023. <laughs> I, I, how how did that happen though? Um, I can't really go into details too much okay, about that. Enough, it, yeah, enough. there's there's some stuff above pay grade, so I can't really go yeah. into it. But yeah, I, but I, suffice I, to say, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know Brian Ward has said that he's at Toy's mercy. He like they send him what they send him. Um, right. So that's why sometimes the art or the image choice has been questionable because there is no choice. Yeah. Like they they get what they get. So yeah, some yeah, and th- that goes you know across the board usually, um, which uh, which we'll talk more about that later with uh, with with dealing with disco tech, you know, because like you know you're able to have a little more leeway there. But uh, yeah, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I guess I remember when that whole thing just unfolded, and I'm like, okay, but let's let's do something about this. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in other news, Amy Jo Johnson, who's transitioned to becoming, you know, uh, a reasonably well-known uh, writer and director, uh, she had a script titled What We Become land on what uh, what's known in Hollywood as The Blacklist, which mm. is the list of um, Hollywood's most liked uh, unproduced screenplays. I don't know what it's, you know, what We Become is about, but The Blacklist... Um, there's been a number of um, of screenplays on there that have actually been produced and um, and have done very well, have gotten Oscars, uh, and um, you know hopefully you know hopefully getting noticed leads to it being picked up. She's had a few movies uh, being made, not necessarily big you know theatrical releases, but ones that have done pretty well on the festival circuit, uh, like Tammy's Always Dying. Mm. And hmm? oh, no, I'm just like looking at this list right now, like, holy hell. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like ones from, you know, like reasonably well-known um, screenwriters on the list. I haven't actually looked at the, uh, uh, you know, the full list for this year myself. But um, but like I said, they're they're like it, it, it's it's not like despite the name, it's not where screenplays go to die. Yeah. Oh, no, it's very much like this is like the stuff that people are looking for. Like if it's something's being shopped around and, you know, like it's getting, looking to be a hot ticket, this is where it ends up. So for her to get up on there, that is amazing. It It's the Tuesday morning of, uh, you know, <laughs> of where to find scripts. <laughs> I like that description. <laughs> 
And in other news that may or may not be relevant to Power Rangers future, Auckland Film Studios has opened two additional stages. Mm. This is where Cosmic Fury shot and where some of Ninja Storm was shot. And I think the uh, uh, the white dino, the, the ATV chase in uh, Dino Thunder was shot. Auckland is really growing as a destination for filming. What we don't know is whether Power Rangers will go back there mm. under Jonathan Entwistle. And uh, they added two, two thousand. Uh, excuse me, I, I need to say as an American, twenty-two thousand square feet studios. Two, two of those, hmm. and uh, they now have five stages totaling more than eighty thousand seven hundred square feet. That's according to Variety. The project took a year and it was made possible with thirty million New Zealand dollars of funding from the New Zealand federal government, Good. with the remaining seven point five million New Zealand dollars. From the from Auckland Council, which is local government, and the mayor Wayne Brown joined the federal minister for arts, culture, and heritage in opening the two new stages at a ceremony in early December. That's one. Uh, Avatar: The Way of Water was shot in Auckland. The Rings of Power was shot in Auckland. Sweet Tooth was shot in Auckland. Um, the Meg, you know, they're they're doing big business there, and it's only going to get bigger. Which, you know, is great for all the, uh, you know, a lot of the same actors who work on Power Rangers will, you know, next thing you know, they'll be working on, on Avatar, Rings of Power, or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> good, good for them. Go get that money. Sweet. And now for something completely different. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. YouTuber uh, Robert Wang. um was actually brave enough and had the money apparently uh, to at when we in the fandom noticed the original mask for Furbis from Master Rider uh, on eBay, he and a couple friends bought it to the tune of $999. This is a thing that needed to be in safe hands. It's a piece of television history. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's address this because it was so funny because when he posted about it, like I'm looking at this, I'm like, SR Flubber's totally gonna throw money at this. SR Flubber's just gonna buy it. it. Like it's it's gonna happen. Like I don't know how, but he's gonna get it. And sure enough, he was one of the names that came up when he announced to kill procure it. And I'm like, you monster. Uh, but I love this. I mean, it's it's this, and then there's like that one like Power Ranger monster suit from like no, it's from Mega Ranger too. That mm-hmm. that that somehow was surviving and was in someone's kitchen for years. Like th- like these weird auctions that pop up. Um, and, also, and Ferb, it looks great. It looks yeah. great despite all this time. I mean, that's probably for the best because you don't want it staring into your soul. Uh, but uh, yeah, holy hell, that's amazing. Um, well, Ferbus got lucky, but we still got to look at Ferbus. Hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least he's not, you know, causing any problems for for Dex or. Oh God. Or, that you know. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he caused problems for my childhood, though. I'll tell you what. Anyway. <laughs> so. But speaking, of, I need to stop with these segues. They're so forced. <laughs> uh. Uh-oh. Another uh, another thing available out there on the intertubes that you actually can buy, the Furbus has already spoken for, is uh, we have a new Lightning Collection Amazon exclusive, another five-pack like the Psycho Rangers, this time 
it is the Alien Rangers, and it's not cheap. It uh, the set cost one hundred twenty ninety nine, and will be yeah. out out in June of twenty twenty three. Um, I guess it doesn't really make sense to release them individually because I don't think there's demand for that. But as right. a set, I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, it is. It's it's definitely. I wouldn't say it's an obscure pick, but it's still like. I mean, I I get it, you know. But like, what is it gonna have in terms of like accessories and stuff? Like, is it gonna just have swords? Is it gonna have the guns? Yes. Is it gonna yeah? Have, basic- it, it, it's listed. Yeah, they've got swords, guns, effect pieces and oh gosh one thing they did that was actually really neat is that they're all like slightly different heights to kind of match the actors heights good yeah i think we went over this when we first learned that the uh the site was possibility Mm. but the and the box art has them on aquatar Mm. a really nice touch oh man now they could just, you know, well, I mean, I, I feel like this might be a testing ground too, because like, I mean, well, I mean, they already did Psycho, they already did this, but it's like, yeah. if you know, with this, it's like, okay, if people are going to shell out this much for for full team Ranger sets, um, what other weird stuff could we do? And I'm just like, you know, if if you could do it so that way that you could get like the in space set, because I wasn't able to get them individually, could you just do that so I could have like a Mega Ranger set so I could put it on my desk, maybe please, please Hasbro, please, thank you, thank you. I mean, what who said that? And, you, well, they're always looking at reusing molds somehow. Like, they could mm-hmm. take another bite of the app with, uh, uh, you know, one of those other teams by putting out a five-pack set that might that might include, you know, different effect pieces than the original release. I know that's what they did with the Psychos, which were already, uh, two of those were already, like, out there in the wild, you know, in a two-pack or, or, or something like that. Um, but also in terms of you know, giving Hasbro money, there's a new Zord Ascension project logo out that was first spotted at uh, an event in Brazil, and it is modeled after and features heavily the uh, the Tiger Zord. So that's a hint at what we might be getting mm-hmm. after the Astro Megazord. Um, you know, the, I'm looking forward to that. I know there was the Legacy Tiger Zord but that has obviously been out of stock and, you know, it's a collector's item already for ages now. Right. Yeah. Well, and if they're doing the Tiger Zord, that means that by extension, they have to be doing the Thunder Megazord as well, which is one that, you know, mm. I mean, that one's got to be gorgeous. Hopefully mm. it's, it's yeah. solid when they do it, but yeah. Yeah. I missed out on the Tiger Zord, but I do have the legacy uh, Thunder Megazord on my shelf. It, it, it's still really nice and it still holds together. But uh, I guess my issue with the legacy things is like, you know, if there are parts you're not using, like, for example, the swords that the Red Shogun Zord used um, or, you know, the staff that, um, uh, you know, the Red, the Red Dragon Thunder Zord had, you know, and if you have it in a different configuration, I guess kind of like parts of action figures, you got to figure out somewhere to put all that stuff. This is why they need to just take a hint from Bandai and just have like these like nice display stages where you can just put everything. Because like that's what Soldier mm-hmm. Goken uh, has done for a while. I mean, they don't do it for every every toy now, which is kind of depressing. But you can like just have those stages where it's like, okay, cool, I can just have the swords jutting out and make it look like it's in like a hangar bay or something. Yeah, yeah. Um... And uh, also, uh, as we finish up our news block, we got a few more things to go through. 
But remember that Shin Ultraman hits theaters uh, through Fathom Events. There's the uh, subbed version on January 11th and the dubbed version on January 12th. And it's really special that we're getting this chance to watch that in theaters. Yeah, it took us a little while to get there, but uh, the dub cast is looking pretty good. Haven't they done lately? Don't they usually do the dubs through uh, through William Winkler? Well, yeah, that changed. The short version is that up until the uh, Ginga S movie, or up until X, actually, the Ultimate X movie, um, William Winkler was doing. They went from producing it, outsourcing it out to Los Angeles, to just going to Japan and having all expats. Oh, the Shenmue strategy. Pretty much. As far as I know, they haven't done like any remote stuff. In this case, I believe the, the dub for Shin was done in America. Yeah, Okratron 5000 uh, yeah. is credited, according to Anime News Network, as one of the companies uh, with Kocha Sound, Japan-based Kocha Sound, yeah. uh, that worked on the dub. Um, Kocha Sound also worked on... Um, ADR production for Flying Phantom Ship, which used an American cast, I believe, with through Sound Cadence. Um, yeah. See, I, I don't know why I, rec- I was at a discotheque panel. That's why I know that. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, go pick up that release. It's really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've also done Made in Abyss, uh, mm. Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc V. And the dub for Shin Ultraman includes... Chris Hackney, Brandon McGinnis, uh, Don M. Bennett, and you know Matt Matt Shipman, yeah, uh, Jim Ferranda, um, but mostly people whose names I've never heard in my life. Yeah, um, Brandon McGinnis was uh, one of the uh, cast for Gridman, actually. So it's a nice little, ah. nice little, nice little uh, full circle there. Mm. And uh, also, also we'd like to. We started doing this before everything went haywire, but we'd like to also highlight a post of the week from our friends at r slash Power Rangers. Oh, boy. The, <laughs> the user Power Protect U, that's the letter U, um, is working on upscaling and remastering episodes of Power Rangers. Not, you know, for a release, because that would be illegal, uh, but just kind of show that what he can do. And he's using, like, footage sourced from the Jew Ranger DVDs and... I presume maybe AI upscalings or something of the uh, original source footage. Right. And it, looks, it looks really nice. Sometimes the, the the changes are almost, you know, imperceptible because, you know, DVD or no, you're working with, you know, footage from 30 years ago. But it's an interesting experiment. And, you know, even if actually upscaling the show to, to HD in a manner similar to, like, Star Trek Next Generation isn't really possible. Yeah. Um, it's a an interesting proof of concept about what could be done with this these shows in the future. Right. Yeah, it would be really nice if they did something in terms of the preservation efforts for this, because I mean, too many shows have just been left to rot, and I've just haven't been able to do a whole lot with them. And like, um, thankfully, things have changed, but still. Yeah, I th- I think it comes down to the availability of the original materials, and with yeah. something like Power Rangers, that gets very complicated because of the way those original materials were used, and also the fact that a lot of things you need, and we're learning now from um, from Simon Bennett and others, a lot of things that you would theoretically need to uh, 
to remaster these old shows in any way. Those, those materials don't exist. Yeah. And it um, brings us uh, to one more thing in our news block before we go to break, and it's very, very, very sad news. Mm-hmm. Ichiro Mizuki, uh, the most legendary figure in anime music, Aniki, he was called Big Brother by his peers and by fans, has died after a battle with lung cancer. He was 74. He had a long, long, long association with Sentai, going back to Jaka. Uh, he also did songs for various Tokusatsu series and lots and lots of anime, particularly mecha anime. He was most identified with Mazinger Z. He also did a lot of songs for Kamen Rider, uh, going back to V3. Uh, he also did songs for Inazuman, Kagestar, Kagetsuzubat, Metalder. Uh, he acted in Voice Slugger. He did this, the theme for Daitetsu Jin 1-7. I saw him perform live back in 2009, and I will never forget him emerging like through like machine fog and busting out Daitetsu Jin. And uh, God, that was just, that was incredible. And one of his best ones like, too. Oh my goodness! Stage presence, you know, doesn't begin to describe, you know, to you like what, like. I mean, where do I begin? What, like, yeah, like, like what, like, explain to somebody who doesn't know who he is. What okay. He meant. Okay, it's, it's like, um, I mean, when David Bowie died, it's 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 on that level. You know, um, the man is a literal legend, you know, like, and we you know we we've abused that term so much these days. And, you know, like, we you know, like how we just abused Epic and I actually know I was part of that problem. Uh, but like legend even then still doesn't feel like appropriate for him. I mean, the, the vocal power, the just the gravitas, his range you know, he could do something really silly and really funny, like, you know, like a common writer Christmas. And then suddenly you get Captain Harlock where it's just like this big sweeping, almost like opera type tone, uh, which is one of my favorite songs of his to belt out a karaoke. Like I, I get choked up and as like an actor and as like someone who does sing on occasion, like, I mean, my voice isn't winning awards or anything, but dude is an inspiration. And when he passed away, I'd, I ended up doing a um, tribute stream on Twitch, and it was there was just a point where I just I I, I didn't want to just take breaks between every song. Like, I wanted to go through it. I'm like I wanted to do it justice. But when we hit Captain Harlock, I was like, okay, I need to take a break and I need to bring my A game. And I and I, I hope I did him justice. And I it's it's just so weird to be in a world without him because I, and- I wish. He was just still working, and yeah, I just hate how he went out. He co-founded Jam Project, and that means a lot to me because I've like I've had so many you know great experiences going to Jam Project shows. Granted, long after he left the group, yeah. Um, but like Kageyama Hironobu, he sort of got into this business by accident. He recorded a song in 1971 that happened to be used as the opening theme for the anime Genshi Shonen Ryu. And then, as one does, he got into this for a living and recorded 
hundreds and hundreds of songs for many, many, many different shows, uh, mostly Mecca, but other genres too. Yeah. And he worked closely with uh, Mitsuko Horie and Kageyama. Um, and he was like, he, he, you know, you don't not earn, you know, a title like Aniki. Yeah. Even when he got sick and he probably knew he was going to die. Yeah. Um, he said he never, ever, ever retired at his last show, which was just days before his death, even though he's like in a, you know, in a wheelchair on stage. Yeah. He declared that he would never retire and in fact was planning to celebrate his 50th anniversary. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I won't be surprised if um, there's a tribute concert or something that'll, that'll happen within the next couple of months. I mean, absolutely. I mean, at the, at the very least, I know Cho, the uh, Choe Yusai, the big like live show that they do for Ryder and Sentai every year. Um, mm. There's going to be a tribute and I'm going to probably ugly cry because <laughs> it's going to happen and I'm not going to be ready for it. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. I mean, at that point, because it's just words alone don't do it justice. I, I encourage anyone out there, just you know, whether you're a diehard anime or or a Tokusatsu fan or just whatever, just look up his music, listen to it again. Find the theme to Captain Harlock, and it will change your life. And I, I think especially the way that music and anime is handled now, uh, with an emphasis more on, you know, trendy pop songs as intros. I don't think there's going to be anybody like him again. Mm. Um, and, you know, the Akira Kushidas of the world are what we have left. Yeah, and that's and that's the tragedy, because it's like, within the span of a year, I mean, God, we lost we lost him, we lost Shinsuke Kikuchi, we lost Shime Watanabe. I'm still reeling from that one. He was one of the most prolific composers. And so losing him and Aniki in the same year was just a whirlwind hit for me. And Kikuchi, who also was like the composer for Dragon Ball, uh, also the composer for Kamen Rider, uh, for like, you know, the the early Showa era. Um, Mazinger Z, just, yeah. <laughs> it's like three of the biggest names associated with Mazinger Z all end up buying it the year before the, the the 50th anniversary. That is like a double kidney punch if there yeah. ever was one. But I guess if there's if there's an upside, it's that even if he never publicly admitted that, you know, that his time was up, I, I feel like at all the concerts between when he got sick and now his peers and his fans were able to let him know how much they appreciated him. Yeah. I still have his autograph in the hallway. He, you you have his what now? When Patrick Macias interviewed um, Ichiro Mizuki for Otaki USA back in the day, I think I submitted a question or two for that interview, but he got uh, Ichiro Mizuki's autograph for me. And he did like a little common writer sketch too, and it's like Aniki does that. If you go to my Instagram page, you'll, you'll see it. Yeah, uh, oh, but ooh. I've looked at that in my hallway for the past like two years. I hadn't really looked at it after he passed, but like when it, I looked at it like I think a couple days ago, it it just sort of sank in, and ugh, just yeah, I 
I I really wish I had I'd been able to meet him. But uh, oh my god, yeah, he just end of an era as far as yeah. I'm concerned. End of a friggin' era. Yeah, uh, there's there's never going to be anybody like him again. He was just absolutely one of a kind. So I understand, Lamar, you got to hop off, right? Yep, yep. Uh, All right. I got plenty to take care of. But hey, it was great seeing you guys and um, looking forward to the future. Yeah, and uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have more with Mike Dent. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm Tyler. And I'm Mason. This is the Dads Are Dorks podcast. As you can tell from the title, we're dads and dorks. Join us as we traverse the multiverse of nerd culture as fathers. We're going to bring on our friends and guests to come hang out with us. And as the Dungeon Master, we'll also be playing games like Who Said It, Batman, or Macho Man Randy Savage. That's right. So make sure you hit that subscribe button today so you never miss an episode. You can find the Dads Are Dorks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My nephew liked the Power Rangers, and I did this on his birthday where he had all his friends around. They were like, Green Ranger! I said, let me show you the real Sentai. I'm going to show you the episode where Green Ranger actually died. And they were sitting there looking. A couple kids started crying like, no, Green Ranger can't be daddy. And the parents were like, what are you showing our kids? The Anime World Order podcast. Not suitable for children because the truth hurts. Visit us online at www.animeworldorder.com. All right, as promised at the top of the show, we have Mike Dent with us still, and uh, we wanted to talk to him you know, about his history uh, in the fandom and you know his amazing chance to get involved with some of these official releases of shows like Gavan and Kamen Rider Black and um, you know about the path that Tokusatsu has taken in terms of being publicly available and all that. So... Uh, First off, Mike, why don't you tell listeners, you know, about your origin story? Uh, you know, what drew you to Tokusatsu? Oh boy, well we just turned this episode into a two-parter because that's going to be a lot. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, the origin story. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it nice and lean here, but um, I mean, the big thing for me that really got me into it was, I mean, it was in the basement that I'm, I'm in right now. Actually, that's, that's like my work and studio space, and I'm. I remember vividly just being in, you know, there, and there was a, an old, you know, one of the old uh, UHF dial, you know, CRTs in, you know, in the corner of the room, and I think it was like a Saturday or a Sunday, and suddenly hitting channel 58, and it was the first five minutes of, or no, for the, sorry, the first five minutes, the last five minutes of Godzilla versus Megalon and specifically right when they're just beating down on Megalon and it, we get to see the, the flying Godzilla dropkick. And then it's like right around that time, I want to say, cause this was still like the nineties, you know, we're talking like early nineties. So like Ultraman towards the future hit syndication. And I remember losing my mind cause I'm like, Oh, it's like more like Godzilla. And you know, my mom was a big fan of creature features. So like, um, a lot of those classic movies were starting to be released on VHS, so, and we were getting those in the house. So um, I have the old um, gold frame re-releases of like Godzilla '85 and uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla and Godzilla vs. Gigan. Like, and I watched those all the time growing up. Then going from that to Power Rangers, and then it was right around that time that 
I had uh, stumbled upon an issue of Antarctic Press's old fanzine, Sentai Magazine. And um, that's when I found out that it's like, wait a minute, Power Rangers is from Japan? Wait, the Green Ranger dies? Why? You know, like, I, and I'm just, yeah, like, it's just a further step into, you know, that downward spiral. Then, like, the internet was becoming a thing, so I would go online, you know, like, websites, like, uh, it was, like, the the old news groups, alt-TV Sentai, where I, I, I was dealing with people who were, like, you know, like, several years older than me. Um, you know, I was, like, going on, you know, uh, what was it, uh, Jill and Sentai spoilers. Um, you know, Absolute Ultraman run by my, you know, my old buddy, Wayne Koizumi. Uh, you're bringing up Jill. You're dating yourself. I, I know I'm dating myself. I know. Newsflash. We're old, Tyler. I would go to Best Buy and I or Circuit City and I would look up these websites on web TV because we did not have a computer in the house for a number of years uh, that was capable of the Internet or capable of like, you know, like uh, or like, you know, web, you know, web surfing and stuff. And so I would just go and I would just absorb these pages and like people would just look at me weird, you know, because I'm just like <laughs> doing that. Um, and so like, it just, I was just so hungry and it, like, it's why I, I kind of refer to stuff as like an adventure because it was just me going and, and trying to find out as much as I could. And then, um, we had a local anime store and I remember walking in one day and suddenly it was an episode of Die Ranger and I'm like, oh my God, like, what is it? What? This is, this is it? This is that Japanese stuff? What? And that it's like actually watching that and then getting to see Comrade that oh which I also like walked in on the last five minutes of there's a running trend you're finding out that like I discovered the big three largely because just just wandering in it was just one thing after another and you know I just kept going and the rest is history basically it was just a series of stumbles and fortuitous stumbles and eventually I just I got hooked yeah I, I think it's funny you know for people like our age you know, the story of getting into Tokusatsu starts with Power Rangers. There's just, like, this whole generation where, because you had, like, the days of, like, the old creature feature shows and stuff like that, where it was, like, this melting pot of, like, sci-fi and horror and, and you know, and, uh, Japanese monster movies and stuff like that. And um, that all just kind of swirled together. And, like, even with the 70s, you had, like, you know, Shogun Warriors and all these other Japanese toys coming into the fray. And it was all just one big kind of melting pot. But now it's, you know, it feels like there's more of a dividing line between, uh, like, the, the henshin hero side of things and the kaiju side of things, which is which kind of sucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about that, like, you know, then and now, where it's like one is just this, you know, like, this big, wondrous realm of rocket punches and, and you know, and all this stuff like that. And then now it's like... I don't know. Like, yeah, it, it really is like more kind of like Power Ranger centric or uh, whatever, because I think that's why a lot of people got into um, Ryuki back in the day even is because like there was just that crossover. It's like, wait a minute, there are multiple riders. There are multiple Rangers. Wait, hold on a second. What? You know, like that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us about R5 Central and how that came. Oh, about. boy. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to be another two parter. Uh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, because R5 was just an outlet for me, you know, back in the day, because back then I I had always wanted to do like a news podcast. Well, when podcasts became a thing, um, I kind of wanted to get on and I'd always wanted to do like a blog or something or just uh, but I also wanted an outlet. I, I just want I think I just wanted an outlet for like me 
basically to perform and then also do news and just nerd out and all this crazy and um oh that's right i don't know if i can swear or not yeah i guess that'll be the first bleep of the episode uh but oh, yeah you yeah yeah you can't sorry swear jar okay bing uh no i, I know, it's funny i was i remember the interview i did for uh ranger command power hour uh and i, I got bleeped so many times i feel like that's a land speed mm-hmm. record <laughs> so um like morse code yeah exactly yeah yeah there we go challenge accepted let's go <gasps> no um but yeah no so yeah rfi central we started that in 2005 and it a lot a lot of the kind of early community for that a lot of that like happened like you know and over at henshin justice and we would do like you know news and we do on location stuff uh and then we'd also do like a whole audio drama thing it was like imagine like an uh the best description i've ever heard is an epic version of mst3k <laughs> like mst3k but with, with like super robots and that was us um and yeah there's some stuff that there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I am proud of, but there's stuff that if I look back on it now, there's a little cringe, uh, and and yeah, there's same. And, and there's stuff that, you know, um, I don't know, like there's stuff that I'm not totally proud of, but every once in a while I'll I'll get a message from someone saying how much the show meant to them, and how much they'd want to listen to it again, and um, like I had someone write me this really nice letter about like how it made them want to like go out and make friends and stuff like that who had similar interests and, and which, you know, got me a little misty eyed and cause it's like, it, my biggest thing is like, you know, I've, I've got imposter syndrome bad and, and right when I think I've, I've shaken it off, it comes right back. And those little moments when you find out that your work changed someone's life or meant something to them, like that just feels like a million bucks you know, and not even just like, you know, for like this, you know, the, the kick, you know, or whatever. It's literally like, it just makes everything you go through. And it's a nice little reminder uh, that everything's worthwhile. So it's, uh, that does mean the world, which is why I tend to get a little protective of those days. Cause yeah, yeah, there was laser sounds and yeah, there was a little craziness and yeah, there was a little bit of cringe, but you know, um, I got to interview Hikaru Utada. I got to interview Mark Musashi. Um, I got to, you know, I got, I got to, you know, shoot the breeze with, with like Kyle Bear and work with, you know, some really great people who have since blown up to become fantastic voice actors and actresses. And yeah, those were the days, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of interviews, you also, uh, co-founded Tokusatsu Network. You're not involved with them anymore, correct? Yeah. I quietly left in 2015 um, there's just a bunch of stuff going on for me at the time. Um, biggest one, depression. So <laughs> I didn't really do that too. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, took us out to network. Yeah. My, my baby, uh, well, partially my baby. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's, they're still using my old logo and stuff like that, which I think is really cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we started took us out to network back then. It was just at a time when Tokusatsu news in the West, like, or in America, you know, you have all of these, like, uh, other outlets, you know, like, you had, like, the prestige ones, like, you had Sci-Fi Japan, and you had, like, I mean, like, the old Monster Zero forums, like, those were, like, your big prestige pieces, but then 
you know, it's like there wasn't a whole like you had like uh, what was it? Um, all these other websites and do these pretty shady things in terms of like, you know, like misattributing stuff, mistranslating stuff, you know, leaking things like that, like just stealing content from people wholesale and not crediting them um, and stuff like that. And it was just a really bad landscape, you know, for this. And so a bunch of us got together and we're like, you know, we're complaining about this. Why don't we just be the change we want to see in the world? And so that's how Tokusatsu Network really came in, into play there. And that was us all just wanting to deliver the best, you know, news and the you know, best translations and the best content the best way we can. Um, and I worked on the YouTube channel um, the very beginning. It kind of helped build that infrastructure. But yeah, it was just... I had a bunch of stuff going on at the time. I had some very long held depression issues that I was slowly realizing were a thing. And I just realized this stuff wasn't making me happy anymore. And that's why I ended up leaving. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the people who like are involved with the site and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, no, I, I look back on you know those days fondly and I'm, I'm just happy that I was able to reconnect with everybody. And, you know, for the longest time, you know, I'm, did you think of yourself as an aspiring voice actor or just a voice actor? I, um, I it was more a voice actor. I mean, because like it's I, I like um, th- there's that I forgot who said it. I think it was was it Kevin Smith or it was like some other director. Yeah. But basically said like, OK, if you're calling yourself an aspiring filmmaker, it's like, OK, did you, make, did you shoot a movie with your friends? Yeah. OK, great. You're a filmmaker. You right, know? But, right. But my 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 point is in getting in. I think, you know, where I'm going with this question now is uh, during the uh, the pandemic, you actually did get your first like real like anime voiceover roles talk mm. a little bit about you know the you know you know oh, getting the getting those roles and you know if if we can expect to hear any more of you in <laughs> in series the though i understand you know with all the changes happening at at crunchyroll maybe that door is closed for now is it uh, not exactly. I'm still getting auditions. It's what the big thing right now is that um, people are still kind of deciding whether or not like remote uh, recording is like is here to stay. And I think a lot of people are agreeing that, yeah, it is. I mean, I should know. I recently booked something in, in L.A. Um, with, you know, you know, with that, with remote recording. So it is possible. It's just it's the same as always. It's just, you know, making sure you can you know, network and get your foot in the door and uh and showing you've got the chops um and so for me like i had been doing voice acting since i was like 16 you know like i was doing stuff with, on like you know on on, on flavor and on you know voice acting alliance and you know doing radio plays my first ever thing was a inuyasha radio play that i am so glad is no longer online <laughs> It was so bad. I was I was like 16 and I was trying to sound like gruff, like really gruff, like the voice that I have now, you know, like imagine me like right about here normally. And then it's like I'm like, oh, yeah, excuse me, sir. Uh, would you show me into the adult section uh, here? Uh, I am I am totally of age. Um, as of you just did a business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Essentially. 
So it was, it was, it was not great. It was not great. And I'm, I'm glad it's to the wayside, but that's how that started. And it was funny because that started because I was trying to do like a metal hero fan film back in the day. The voice actress I, was, I met that I was on, um, alt TV Sentai. She's like, Hey, I'm doing a thing. Would you be interested in doing it? I'm like, hell yeah. And we did a couple more uh, super Sentai fan dubs. Uh, and so I got to be, um, gal yellow and big one for the gal ranger versus super Sentai roll call. And I nailed that. I nailed doing those voices. Um, and then we did a whole bunch of other stuff. And it was just that, doing more radio plays and and just going back and forth. And um, a couple of, like, there were a couple, like, yeah, fan commercials. Uh, and then eventually, like, I did a promo for Otaki USA. They got used on a couple different podcasts, which was pretty cool. Um, but then what ended up happening was eventually... Uh, we get to like 2017 and I get a message from a buddy of mine. He's like, Hey, bang zoom's coming to, uh, anime central and they're doing open auditions and the winner gets flown out to Los Angeles. Would you in a role, would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, I'll give it I, I guess. Cool. I scratched together some cash and I went and, um, and so I went in, uh, you know, read my stuff. Bang Zoom uh, had it called me back and it did that. I had a really bad incident of uh, moment of stage uh, fright, uh, state you know stage freeze, and uh, it didn't. I, I ended up not getting it. Um, ended up not getting the role. But then uh, I went back the following year, and um, there was like someone who was with Bang Zoom at the time who, who straight up was like, and I'll never forget this. Like straight up, just like gave me the biggest hug after everything and uh because I, I think he could tell that i was really i wasn't i wasn't doing that great because like i could only afford to go two days and then on the last day i just missed sign up cut off and uh i was nearly trampled and out, we had to just like we were hitting every red light my friend and i were running late and like as everyone like went into the convention hall they were just running past me i almost got knocked down and i was like just limping because this is right when I was having like leg issues and stuff like that. Because uh, you know sciatica and all that good junk. So um, yeah, like and so, like he could tell I was hurting, and he just gives me the biggest hug and is like, "Dude, please don't give up. Please come back. You know, you know, don't give up on this just yet. You know, I really like your voice." And you know, I almost broke down sobbing right there. Uh, but uh, I, I kept coming back, and so then finally, 2020 happens. Um, and a bunch of the studios are all like, you know, we need to open up and, and diversify our talent a bit more. And so send us your stuff, folks. And I think it was over a period of two weeks, I was sending my demo reel to everybody. And mind you that, like, I had this little voice nagging me in the back of my head saying in March, Mike, finish, make a new demo reel, finish, finish your new demo reel. And sure enough, I got into the talent roster for Bang Zoom. First thing they ever sent me was for Pokemon Masters EX, um, and I auditioned, and I got in, and I I, I got out both uh, Elio and Raihan, and um, <laughs> and then out, and it was like a little bit after that, uh, like I think the following year, I I got the call for uh, Welcome uh, to Demon School Irmacon, and I'd I'd been a fan of the show, um, 
And that's when I got it. Uh, they, they're just like, hey, there's, you know, uh, there's a uh, runaway Romier is we're going to be casting for him. With, you know, uh, here's the sides. And I read for it and I'm like, OK, well, I don't think I'm going to make it. But then I was lying in bed and there's a running trend with, with me finding out I have a voice role. It's always when I'm lying in bed and it's when I get the email. And suddenly I Maybe you should call I, like a Cameron from, from Ferris Bueller and just kind of, you know, stay in bed. <laughs> Can I get that in writing? <laughs> It, it just so you know, I can't go in and work a normal day job. I have to stay in bed 24-7 until I find out I book a voice role. <laughs> if only. Um, but yeah, so like I, I booked uh, that and I got, it was my first ever, um, for, you know, like role that I got to sing. Uh, it was so much fun and I'm so happy I'm coming back for him uh, for third season. Uh, which is they're recording for it right now. Um, so my, my boy's coming back. It's gonna be great. I'm I'm technically in the first episode, but because of budget, I guess they couldn't. They they weren't able to do this the whole song thing, so they just reverted to Japanese. So I, I was, which I was a little disappointed. I, I would have loved an opportunity to come in and sing again. But uh, yeah, it's it's just been a nice journey. I've met a lot of a lot of really great people. There's been some really cool opportunities. There's been some setbacks. There's been, but there's also been some really cool wins. And I'm. You know, I mean, it's it's been great. It's been great. It, it is a dream come true. And uh, I'm and the big thing, though, for me was uh, this past year because I got to be the voice of Common Rider Zero One for for a commercial. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to be I got to be Arto and um, which was funny because that almost didn't happen because uh, originally the joke was going to be the sign was going to come up and it was going to be a clip from the show like the like it was gonna be the clip of that and then we were gonna get a japanese voice actress um a native speaker to voice match and do is his lines and to do the to do the the, the joke where she's explaining that it's um you know like it's explaining the joke and so uh what happened is the we were right down to the wire and the actress we had in mind she got pneumonia so we were like oh heck what are we gonna do so uh i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna go in and like like i'll just record this for arito because like because otherwise if we have it in english it's not gonna make sense and so we recorded the you know did this whole thing did the whole shit got it in perfectly and just you know like just in time toei approved it and I got, and so for that one glorious moment, I got to be the uh, English dub voice of Arito. And it's, I'm really happy that the reception to that was warm and wonderful because there were so many people when that came out saying, oh my gosh, if you do a zero one dub, please bring those people back. And uh, shout out to um, my friend Kim Gasil who came in like a trooper and did those lines for is I am, I am so happy that, that she's in my life and she's a good friend. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so like, there's just been all sorts of weird, weird things. I mean, God, there's that. I got to be the voice of ultra. Uh, it was at Tregear uh, for like uh, a YouTube channel. Um, I got, you know, I, I was the arbiter for power Rangers unworthy for a bit. Um, which was like, I think my last fan role, for a while I, I just got burned out on fan rolls finally but uh there's so there's just been all these weird little adventures and and whatnot that have come up as a result of that and 
you know, I, I keep making the joke to people that my memoirs are going to be insane. And it's, and I feel like the voice acting is definitely going to contribute to that. Um, but you've also, besides, you know, being in voice acting now, you've also had kind of, as you alluded to, involvement with these projects, you know, in, in other ways. Talk about uh, how you got connected with Shout doing trailers and such, and oh, also yeah. with uh, with Discotech, yes. with your contributions to Gavin and Black releases. Oh, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, how that really happened was, uh, well, as far as Shout was concerned. So, um, Let's Talk Tokyo was a thing. Uh, that happened and um, Squall had brought on someone who made some pretty disparaging comments about Ultraman and and uh, and we won't go into uh, but made some pretty disparaging comments about Ultraman which riled a lot of people up including a couple friends of mine at the time who were just like you know what Mike you need to be hosting that show and I'm like guys I don't want to host it and like like no you should be on that show man you should you bring them on and like whatever and they're just getting riled up and and then those same friends of mine were all just going on Twitter being like bring Mo- you know bring Mock Den on bring Mock Den on you know like you know all this stuff like that not with that kind of fury but they were all just like saying like you know you should bring him you know like bring him in he knows his stuff and you know he'll set the record straight so Squall took notice and then Ari who's uh, the manager uh, and the then producer for the show um noticed me and saw like saw the intention and was like okay yeah well, no we need we need to bring you in to sec- to to do this um and so we recorded the episode shortly after i'm kind of 50/50 on it how it turned out um and you know this from years of working with me that it's like i tend to steamroll and you got to be able to direct me <laughs> like you got to be able to direct direct the steamroll and um we it really wasn't happening there, and so we went. I went all over the place, but I, I really feel like I, I I feel like I did a, a decent job defending Ultraman, but I don't know. I, it's I feel like I could have done better, but you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Anyway, so after that, um, Ari and I kept in touch because he was like, "Hey, you mind if I consult you for like Ultraman stuff from time to time?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And then. The, oh, I think it was the trailer for Hasty Generations Forever came out. And I'm like, hey, so I saw this trailer. Just so you know, I also do video editing. And I sent my materials over. And he's like, dude, we need to bring you in. And so, like, that's how that got started. The first promo I cut for uh, Shout, um, well, first one I, I cut and wrote, actually, uh, was the MST3K Gamera Marathon. Because that's right when they got the rights back to be able to show those movies. So that was uh, which that was a dream come true because those were like my favorite episodes of MST3K, um, especially Gear On. But uh, yeah, like it went from there to just me working on promos and then uh, doing the occasional bit of graphic design, like the Instagram graphics for Zero One and um, uh, Ryuki that were shown during Writer Week um, back then. That that was me. Um, and then it just went on because then Tokushatsu became the Twitch channel. And then it's like, okay, hey, Mike, would you be cool doing some interstitials? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I could do that. And so, and that's what I did. So I went in and did those and I was getting paid. You know, there's all paid work you know, for anyone who's wondering. But yeah, all paid work. And um, 
eventually it just got to, hey, we're doing a special for Ultraman Day and we're working with Starlight Runner and uh, and Subaraya. And it went from me just being like, okay, maybe you should do this, 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 and this. Okay, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And then it went from that to, hey, Mike, uh, we want you to co-write the script. Okay. And then going in like hey mike what do you think about this and i'm like okay well maybe you should do it this way this way and this way and then i'm offering like feedback to all this other stuff and before i realized i became the director <laughs> of the whole project uh like i was i i, I mean i had a co uh, co-production credit a co-producer co-writing credit but then i just became director I just sort of just slipped into the seat because I'm like, okay, do this, 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 and this. Don't do that. Make sure you're doing it this way. Um, what about this? Okay, do that, that, and that, and do that. You know, and I'm just like just going into it. I just slipped so effortlessly into the role. Uh, well, not effortlessly. It just it just kind of happened. I just sort of again, it's a series of stumbles. I just ended up in there, and you know, and so you know, because then there I am. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in a meeting with you know high level people from Super High Productions. And I'm just like, this is my life now. That's 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 all the stuff with shout for discotech. Um, that one, it's a little less involved because it's a little more recent. Um, 2021, they I think it was like September 2021. Uh, there was like a, a panel and they said, oh, more Tokusatsu stuff is coming. And and I'm just like, you know, um, sh should I offer to help? Should I offer to make me like, I don't know. Like, I, I would be cool with that. I'm, I mean, I'm looking for more work. You know, sh should I do it? And my my friends and my industry contacts, they're just like, Mike, just do the stupid thing. And I'm like, all right. So I, I send a message and I'm like, hey, uh, you know, you know, if you're looking for someone who's like Tokusatsu savvy, you know, like um, who can help out, I can totally do that. I, I write. I also do video editing. Here's my samples. Um, and then I get a message back from Justin Zavakis and he's like, yeah, sure. We we'll definitely would love to work with you. Keep in touch. So which is what I did. And then it was March of last year that I got the message from uh, Justin that it's like, hey, um, if you can keep this on the download, like, yeah, we got Space Sheriff Gavon. Uh, would you be, is there anything you'd be able to contribute with that? And I'm like, do what I? Because, <laughs> you know, Gavon's like my favorite TV Tokusatsu show, um, like bar none. There's just so much with it that is just amazing. And... So and I, I didn't I wasn't about to turn down the opportunity to, to to work on the first ever like American release for it. God, no. So um, I ended up uh, sacrificing three art books uh, for it. I had to do the thing where um, you hold. Yeah, up I was like going to say, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you put a lot into this. Like I was actually looking through the slideshow on uh, the Gavon release a bit earlier and seeing some of the creases. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a couple of them. Oh boy. So, because what what happened was is I I spent a whole day at the library scanning stuff in, and they're like, hey, Mike, uh, just so you know, um, there's a couple of these we won't be able to use, and I'm like, well, what? And this Justin is telling me this, and I'm just like, well, why? You know, like why? Why we can't like we can't and like well because technically when you're scanning for stuff like this, you gotta destroy the binding, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like. And I, I did a little bit of soul searching and I'm like, it's for the greater good. And so I, I, I messaged Justin. I was like, hey, I, I had a thought. Think over. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to destroy the books and I'll have to scan them over tomorrow. And he's like, are you sure? With like multiple like question marks. <laughs> and I'm like, look, it's for, you know, it's it's for the greater good. It's you know, it's for this release. You know, let's make some people happy. 
you know, I didn't say those exact words, but I'm just like, you know, this, this is what it's all about for me. It's just making sure that, you know, this is a really good release and that, you know, people are, are really ecstatic. And, um, and yeah, like he was just like, oh my gosh, I re-, it was like, well, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I just went to work. And so I spent the, <laughs> I spent an evening, um, on the phone with a friend and I was just casually destroying my Gavon art books <laughs> with a blow dryer and a microwave and, um, and like a nail file, uh, to get into like the creases and stuff. So, uh, it was really funny. It was a really, it was a really funny experience. But then, uh, all I could think of is that, you know, I think one of the inspirations just to do it was like Mike tool. Um, when he said like, our he mutual just, friend, yeah, yeah our, our mutual friend, uh, TV's Mike tool, <laughs> um, who destroyed his giant robo art book for the, the, um, uh, recent set. And everyone in the fan is like, no, don't do it. He's like, it's okay. No, I want you guys to have it. And I'm you like, talk about suffering for the art. Yeah, I mean, that's what this was basically. Like, I don't know if you've seen Giant Robo, the OVA. Like, there's that whole bit no, where, no, no. okay, yeah, there's this whole bit where like Daisaku is having a flashback and he sees his father in a flame, and he's like, so, and I, all I could do is like, as I'm like you know, holding uh, a blow dryer to like the crease and you know and, and ripping the glue apart i could just see like the 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 visage of, of mike tool saying can true happiness achieve, be achieved without sacrifice <laughs> and, and i was like oh my god well one i'm thinking okay well these glue fumes are definitely getting to me um but um yeah like that that's what happened thankfully uh for commander black there was not a single book casualty because i was a lot smarter about how I did that. And uh, that was another thing where like, I just kind of like fell into it. And I had asked uh, Justin, I'm like, hey, I'm planning the next couple of months. Um, what are we planning on doing? And he's like, oh, well, yeah, we got Commander Black. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's like, yeah, so, uh, would you be able to do anything for it? I'm like, yeah, I could do an essay and I can do some photos. And he's like, okay, cool. And, uh, and then towards the end of it, I was like, hey, question, so would you guys like a trailer to promote this? And he's like, yeah, like, uh, he's like, yeah, it, like go ahead and do the trailer. So then, um, I just cut the thing and everyone really liked it. And then that was what they led the, the end of the year discotheque panel with, which I was really surprised. Uh, and I actually do have documentation of this, uh, cause I was on Twitch with, um, bunny cartoon from, uh, or, you know, Don from the, um, anime nostalgia podcast, um and uh, we're watching and so you get like there's a clip of me laughing maniacally as i knew it was coming <laughs> and don just losing her mind and we just go like surprise so um yeah well i remember being at the discotheque panel i, I was at the uh, i was at the um discotheque panel at otakon and you know people were losing their minds like you know, loud when Urusei Yatsura, as loud as they were when when they announced Urusei Yatsura, I was you know freaking out that much when they announced Gavon mm. and your trailer. Everyone loved it. Well, the the trailer. Well, I didn't do the um the trailer for for that. That was just a clip from the show. Unfortunately, um, oh, I thought bad. No, it's okay. I had thought about doing a trailer for Gavon, but I was like um. Um, I'm like, nah, no, it's, it's okay. It's, it's fine. I would, and, but, uh, for Commodore Black, I was just like, I want this to pop. I, I want, I want this to be a big pop. 
I wanted this to be a big moment. And this is like me paying it forward, which is what it's usually been for a lot of these trailers that I've done for like Shot Factory and stuff. Because like uh, a lot of the the a lot of the more epic trailers, those are the ones that like those are shows that I love and shows that um, really mean a lot to me. You know, like the Kuga trailer, um, like that was something I'd been planning to do since I started doing stuff with Tokushatsu. There was originally going to be voiceover that I was going to do, but we were running out of time. And it was becoming way too complex. Um, but like stuff like that, like, uh, you know, me wanting to do because I, I, I love those crowd reactions. I love people, you know, when they get excited for something. And so when when black was coming, I'm like, I really want this to sizzle and I really want to help make that happen. And, and so that's why I, I cut that trailer. Uh, and I'm so happy and I'm blown away that that is going to be a special feature on the set like mm. it's already a kitchen sink release but the fact that i'm wedged in there somewhere like my, my place yeah. in history that is wild to me and it you know and oh my god like just in seeing the the video footage of people losing their mind like when when otakon happened um at that time i was dealing with a lot personally and because uh, just this past year just was like me just like falling down a series of steps repeatedly <laughs> Um, you know, it, it was the Bob Marley sketch from Family Guy. Basically, that was me. That was my 2022, and the and I wasn't able to go to Otakon. And but uh, I knew that Gavon was going to be announced, uh, and I just kind of I had to kind of keep the secret and not tell anybody, <laughs> and, uh, and and just wait for my friends to completely lose their minds, and. Um, then I was getting messages from all my friends like, dude, congrats. Oh, my God. Like the, the everyone in the room lost their shit, you know, or everyone in the room lost their minds, man. Oh, my God. You know, um, when you know, when when I got announced as uh, for doing the historical essay, like uh, actually it was my buddy Coop, who was the loudest cheer. Like he was like, yeah, like that was him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there was, I was one of the loud cheers. I think I like I just like screamed like like I just saw Bigfoot or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not too far off, uh, but yeah, no, it's that was uh, that was that was a moment for me because I, I you know, I, I'd been, you know, again, dealing with a bunch of stuff. So it's it's that reminder again. It was just that it's like the work that I've done has not been for nothing. And it, it it's it's not like I haven't gone unrecognized and that. That was that was a much needed reminder. So I mean, I really want to thank everyone that went off uh, for me that day. Uh, that really, you really made my year. Um, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's in my end of the year reel, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm. So. so speaking of Gavon, you know, I, I was reading your essay earlier in preparation for this, but talk about the gamble that Toy made on it, the position they were in at the t- at the time, oh, yeah. and the stakes for them in terms of you know what if it didn't work out oh boy yeah no so yeah part of the reason i love gavon is because it was just a test bed of innovation um because like they were the big one of course was the the use of the ecg system the totsu ecg system which was uh elect is like electronic cinematography um which was a system that developed by nasa actually that allowed you to convert uh film to video films you know like basically uh, video signals to film 
And so, like, so you had, like, all these new video composition effects and stuff like that and chroma key and things like that that people were now starting to be able to use for, like, a lot of these tokusatsu shows. Um, and so you had that innovation. You had the Japan Action Club really coming into their own, you know, around this time. Because, um, like, they had kind of taken the center seat from, like, the Ono Kenyukai. And, you know, like, it, it does all this stuff. But the thing is, is that everyone was nervous when Gavon was happening. Um, so, like, because Gavon was being developed to fill that void that was left by Kamen Rider. And the big thing about that was okay it's like okay so you want to you want to do this show there's no there's no precedent there's there's no like brand for it to fall back on okay and you're casting an unknown actor in the lead you know like you're, you're casting a dude who's been a supporting character in super sentai the goofball character okay um and then basically the network said here's the deal um if gavon bombs we want your resignations on our, you know, we want your resignations, basically. And so, and, and that is, <laughs> you had that. And at the same time, for Toei, it was like, okay, at this point, we have, this, you know, our Super Sentai stuff, the anime we're producing, and we have, like, a couple, you know, like, in the Vashigi comedy series that's starting up, which hadn't really gotten that name by that point. Like, Robot Hotshan was, like, becoming a thing by then. But it's like... It was around then that if this bombed, Toei thought they would never be able to do a standalone Tokusatsu Hero show ever again. And like even they, Sentai would have died. Sent, I don't think Sentai would have died, but like in terms of an offshoot, because like Sentai at that point had been successful because this was 82. So you had Battle Fever J and you had um, you had Denji Man, you had Sun Vulcan. Those were proven hits. You know, that would have survived. But in terms of like doing an offshoot, like in like another like you know like another Henshin hero type thing, because remember this is post Henshin boom, because um, like that period from like you know uh, 1971 to like well some people yeah like, we'll you had a bunch of shows like we were talking about Ichiro Mizuki and a lot of the shows that he did were in the 70s exactly and so you would have had like like you know you had all this stuff but then a lot of those big uh, like the, a lot of the big studios were dying out. And so, and Toei was churning out so many of those shows. Like, they were, like, at the epicenter of the Henshin boom. But it was, like, those shows started to die out. Like, you know, the you know the oil crisis had a, had taken its hit. So a lot of these people were tapering off. And, you know, like, their, their superheroes weren't as profitable. Like, the anime boom basically came in and said, uh, get out of here with those rocket punches. Let's tell you some stories. You know, and, you know, Space Battle Chief Yamato and, and all, like was just, you know, kicking butt at the box office and, you know, and beating out Star Wars even. So, like, you had all this stuff, uh, you know, happening and just heroes were not, like, you know, as profitable as they used to be. So this was like, OK, so you're wanting to do another hero show during a time period where, apart from Sentai, you're not really going to get them. OK, great well, this is what's at stake here. And so that's the whole thing. But it worked out. Gavon was lightning in a bottle. And I think those those first couple episodes definitely proved that. Um, you had some beautiful, you know, like the beautiful special effects and they went above and beyond. Granted, they kind of diminished, you know, over the course of the remaining episodes because, you know, like, what do you expect? You have to keep it going. And plus, <laughs> when they were working on, on Gavon, that's when Toei was like, hey, we're doing another Super Sentai show and we're splitting the staff down the middle. 
Uh, so, um, which is why, like, you know, um, in terms of composition for uh, the Gavon theme, that credit goes to someone else entirely. But like uh, the composition, like the actual composition was done by uh, Chimi Watanabe, but then the actual like arrangement uh, of everything, like uh, for the for the actual like recording of the instruments and stuff like that, like that was done by another person entirely uh, because of that. But uh, yeah, it's so uh, like you had a lot on the line, but they pulled it off. Uh, and then Kenji Oba finds out and he's like, I'm going to put my life on the line for the show, which is why as you watch the show, everything escalates with a lot of the stunts he was doing. It was like, you know, it was like the thing that Toei was like, we never want to put someone through this ever again after Hiroshi Fujioka. And right here we, here we are. You think that would have been the end of it? No, but yeah, dude, just like I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the Japan Action Club. I've done all these shows by now. I can do this. Let me do whatever it takes. And that was the thing. I mean, even Osama Kaneda, who's the action director, was like, I never had to worry with you uh, or uh, Gavon's suit actor. I never had to worry with you two because you could, whatever I threw at you, you could just do it. And, and um, Kenji Oba, you, you wrote in your essay, went out of his way to try to make uh, Ritsu as impressive out of the suit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, because he had this very great sense of revelry. Like, he didn't hate the suit actor uh, who was inside of it. It was just that he's like, okay, whatever cool stuff is happening in the suit, I've got to be able to match it. And so that and that got worked into canon. Like, uh, when Gavon the movie came out, there was a novel that came out that spelled out a bunch of, like, story lore stuff or whatever. And they spelled out the capabilities of all three of the metal hero or uh, the space of combat suits. And the thing about Gavon, the thing about the thing that made Gavon so remarkable is that the suit only accounted, only gave him a certain percentage boost for his strength and jumping power and stuff like that. And the rest of it was all him and his raw talent. <laughs> so it's like Gavon was just that amazing. Uh, like as himself as a human, that, you know, once you give him the combat suit, it's like, it's just putting on a hot rod engine, uh, which I think is amazing. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's so good. And, uh, which by the way, if you get the disc, I highly recommend going through the, um, round table interview, uh, with him and Osama Kaneda and Gavon, and oh, I keep blanking on his name, uh, Gavon's suit actor, because you get to go into the history for a lot of those stunts. Uh, and you get to hear what it, what it was like back then to, to work on shows like that, where it's like high action and, and in high risk, I mean, and getting thrown from a car um, at like at like top speed and stuff like that. So um, without getting into spoilers for Gavon, Sonny Chiba turns up in a role late in the series. He did this reportedly just doing a solid uh, for his Japan Action Club buddy. Mm. But uh, they had a couple other iconic pairings uh, after that in uh, actually, no. Yeah, it was after that in Kagino Gundan, and of course, you Kill guess. Bill. Oh, also, uh, and I completely blanked on this. Also, in uh, Legend of the Eight Samurai, because mm. uh, um, they're both in it. And oh my gosh, that movie is so great. <laughs> like, um, if you want to talk prestige, like like uh, like a, a prestige movie, a prestige genre movie, even um, for the 1980s in Japan, that's it. Um, and it's based off a very old story and it was the inspiration for message from space. Also to an extent key ranger, um, and, and stuff like that. And it's so funny 
because it's just it's so incredibly over the top. But um, but where I'm going with this is, yeah, no, like uh, Kenji Oba's in it. Etsuko Shihomi, uh, who played Bajinder in uh, Hikaider, uh, was also the star. Actually had her own like career on par with Sonny Chiba's. Um, like she's in it. And like Hiroyuki Sanada, uh, you know, who's since gone on to have this big, illustrious career. He's in it. Um, and it's just this big, like, you know, powerhouse showcase and like the effects team that worked on Sentai and Kamen Rider and also uh, Gavon also worked on it. Same effects director, uh, Nobu Yajima. And, um, so yeah, like, uh, in addition to checking out Shadow Warriors, um, well, even though that's not till like the third season of Shadow Warriors and at at shot, we only have the, uh, the first season. Um, but yeah, if you can check out, uh, the, the, I think the third season of Shadow Warriors, you can can see him and Kenji Oba in action together and they're just a a delight. Uh, but also check out uh, Legend of the Eight Samurai because oh my yeah. god, <laughs> yeah. I, I digress. But Hiroyuki Sanada is one of those actors who's like a a human seal of approval for me. I haven't seen him in a like no matter what his role is, like he hasn't been in a movie that I have hated. Have you seen Roaring Fire? No. You need to see Roaring Fire. That was one of his first major vehicle movies. But it's like it's like you know particularly Western movies. Like yeah. it, it, you know it, it's like. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, like, was, like yeah, it's like the, like Keith Sandfield. If he's if he's in a movie, even if he's a small role, like in Knives Out, is also a movie I love. Yeah, like um, yeah, he's so yeah. capable. He, like, and it's well, so it's fun. like it's like even if it isn't because of it, of their performance, if they just happen to be a movie, I'll love it. Yeah, um, but g- going back to Gavon, um, the character has returned several times over the last uh, decade now the mantle of Gabon has been passed on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. What do you think, you know, made the show and the character so beloved? What gave it such staying power? Everything was just so darn charming. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that's the best way I can describe it because, um, well, you had so many things that appealed to kids. You had the UFOs, you had, you know, you had, you had all sorts of action and adventure. You had Kenji Oba, the lead who is like your cool older brother, you know? Um, and that's something that kids resonate with, you know? So if you have like a really good, like if you have it like a lead actor, I mean, like it's like uh, doctor who, you know, like if you have a great actor who can appeal to everybody, you know, um, you're, you that that's, that's it. I mean, that's really all you need. Um, and then on top of that, you have the amazing visual effects work. Like, even if they weren't like blowing stuff out of the water, like every episode, there was always something like, you know, whether it was okay. You know, the fact that his spaceship turns into a giant dragon, you know, um, you know, or like, okay, like really cool reverse shots or them fighting on the rings of a planet, you know, you had all these things. It was so unpredictable like uh with maku space it because that was the big gimmick at the end of every episode it's like like okay we must you know the transfer the fight to maku space and you know the bad guys get their power up and stuff like that but it's like it was so unpredictable you never knew what was going to happen they could throw whatever gimmicks they they could feel like at the time at at uh at gavon in, in maku space and i think um yeah i think it was uh Kenji Oba himself said it in, in the interview that's on the set where he's like, it was a lot like a video game. It was a lot like video game progression. Like you had different stages and stuff like that. And I think that's also what appealed to kids. Um, but uh, it just, it's this really big smorgasbord of just things that kids would like and kids at heart. And I, I, I like, I can't not 
or I can't think of a per, of a way you could hate this show if you hate fun, you know, like unless you hate fun. Now, um, in recent years, thanks to Discotech and Shout, uh, there's been a lot more. There's become a lot more availability of Tokusatsu in the West, uh, and you know now not just Sentai and Kamen Rider, but uh, Just Beyond and Gavon right. compared to you know all those all those years ago. Um, like, what do you think is behind? companies like this finally um finally going out there and licensing some uh some of this live action stuff i think it's just because people saw there's money in it i mean that's really it it's uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that's the bottom line um i mean with i mean tokushatsu the brand tokushatsu was a no-brainer because shout just had all these things you know at their disposal and they're like, well, we need a better way to get it. And out. Ultraman, of course. I forgot it, to mention Ultraman. And Ultraman as well. But that was yeah. caught up. That was caught up in legal wrangling. That's why it took so long. Oh yeah, that too. And so like, yeah, well, yeah, that was the thing. But it's like I think the Western push for Ultraman, the launch for Tokushatsu, it was like it was just this perfect storm. And I think when pe- it it became apparent that yeah, there's money in this that people are willing to throw money at a Blu-ray set for, for Common Rider that, yeah, there's, there's a way, there's a way to do this. And, you know, discotech was kind of sort of testing the waters with like message from space and cutie honey, the live and Starfleet. And then it's like, why don't we just go for Common Rider? <laughs> you know, like not that that's the actual thought process, but, but it's just like, you know, why not go for one of the, the most popular Common Rider shows ever, you know, um why not go for like the first metal hero show um you know why not you know and like you know or with just being you know god like you know why not go why not go for a what just looks like a really fun show and and like just being was like it was also another lightning in the bottle situation people really dug it and never mind the fact that like you know like there was like all sorts of you know importing going on i think brazilian fans were just eating that particular setup immediately uh, as well as, you know, as us here in the States and, you know, the same and like, you know, with Gavon and everything like that, it's just like, it just makes sense to just go to push for it. You know, if it's a, if it's a big enough name and, you know, there's, there's clout behind it, go for it. And then at the same time, you're also going to have people who are going to discover this for the first time, which is even amazing. And that's just going to bring more people in. Um, and I think that um, in general, it's just, it's amazing. It's a nice turnaround. Um, and I, I think even outside of like that is like seeing this, uh, the kind of the growth of fandom, you know, like, uh, what was it? Uh, conventions you have, I mean, I I've seen like, you know, the, the odd, you know, power ranger slash Tokusatsu gathering grow from like a, a bunch of crazy people in the middle of like the hotel at like, you know, one in the morning, which is what happened with me back in 2005 uh and then going from that to all of a sudden everyone taking up a loading dock you know or two loading docks even and so it's it just seems like it's the right time it's like the like it's just everything has lined up and it, it feels like you know we're not even scratching the surface yet yeah i I just wish that Gato had done better but say yeah that that was unfortunate that wouldn't hurt that wouldn't hurt 
that was um and I, I feel like that was just a mix of like I, I feel like that could have been pushed a lot better um, i feel like if it were more timely yeah it it and plus there's but then with that there's like other reasons for that too more yeah. than like marketing you yeah know, like if it had been put out by a discotheque you know yeah. it might have it might have hit its niche better exactly i wish you know like i really do wish high dive would like have a, like a bit more like yeah high dive that's that was that, that's the other problem yeah like i i yeah like I, it's just i think it's subscriber fatigue and i think also just since i film works they i i really do i really hoped that that would have made it but unfortunately yeah, it just, it, it, i think it was, yeah it was, it was just a bad match between yeah Gar, switchblade and sentai yeah um, which is i it think sucks. Yeah. yeah i think you wonder you know if it would have gone differently if tohok shinsha wasn't asking as much as they were asking for the show back in the day yeah uh because tony oliver said that he you know checked on it and they wanted like a million dollars an episode sounds about right yeah and he would have needed to get a tv deal that you were not going to get in the u.s there's no way yeah i mean there's no way i mean even if you have a dub there's no way yeah who's Uh, gonna enter it I know it aired on like MTV in like Italy, but yeah, well, yeah, it's because because they're more cultured than us, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that um, regard, <laughs> so. but some like something Adam, you know, uh, for the life of me, I can't figure out is, I mean, obviously, toy it you know is in a like you know beholden to whatever Saban and now Hasbro uh, want when it comes to Sentai, but why do they take? I know you can't say what you can't say yeah. to the extent you know anything, but why do they take such a a piecemeal approach to marketing the shows that they can market it in the U.S. Um, compared to Tsuburaya, who signed everything away to Anchor Bay, called it a day? Yeah, and that's something that, um, yeah, there's... Yeah, there, there's stuff above pay grade that I can't talk about, but it's like right. the the big thing is like every company is very, a lot of these companies are very protective of their IPs and they are very protective and they, they want it to do well. And I think when you set a, a high enough price point for stuff like Garo, I mean, I think that's them being like, okay, how serious are they? To make yeah. this happen, um, the problem is nowadays, uh, especially with anime, it's like a race to the bottom because yeah. it's now it's not who's spending the most; it's who's willing to spend the least on it. And do you, well, do you think with Common Rider specifically that you know because Ishimori Pro is involved, do you think that there's any like reticence on the part of Ishimori Pro from having been burned? Uh, in regards to the American market? I don't know. I, I can't speak to that specifically. I don't know. I guess, I guess it'd just be conjecture anyway. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, because that's, that's more, yeah, that, there's, that's more speculation. I think yeah. that, um, I don't know if, it, if they would be that petty, but because it's like not when there's money to be made. And I guess it's burnt being burned twice because even though Dragonite was good, it didn't make money. Right. And yeah, and I mean, even still, I mean, like Ishinomori, Ishinomori Pro is, is still going to they're they're going to make their money because of residuals and stuff like that. But the big thing is that, again, you just have these companies that are so protective and they're going to operate different ways. Sometimes um, 
I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Sometimes you work with companies who they're going to throw up hoops for you and that you're going to have to jump through. But but sometimes you'll have companies that want you to get through those hoops and make it to the end and they will help you and they'll show you how to get there and they'll work with you to make that happen. Uh, And then there are other companies that will light the hoops on fire, turn out all the lights. They won't tell you whether or not there's broken glass on the ground and they can't agree where the exit is. (laughs) And you're just kind of left left to your lonesome. So it's like, you you know, it, it can go either way. It really depends on, on the project. That's just the nature of the beast. It's It sucks because there's sometimes you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> like, I've had a couple of those days where I've wanted to pull my hair out um, when I find out about something. But it's just it's just the, the, the nature of the beast right now. And it sucks. And I I wish I could speak more to it. Uh, like speak a little more candidly to it, but um, there's not a, like there was also stuff that I don't even know about. So, mm. um, but yeah, that I'll say, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of it feels like I'm yeah we're around. going long we're going long <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I know there's only so much that I can say so feel free to edit that for coherence. Um, <laughs> if, if we edit for coherence, we'd only have a five minute show. Well, yeah, but that'd be perfect. We'd be bite sized. Yeah, yeah, and that's just me. That's just for me. Wow, <laughs> I see how it is. Oh my god! And uh, uh, you're also working on uh, a Common Rider Black on the release for Common Rider Black. Yes. Uh, tell me what made um, the adventures of Minami Kotaro so appealing to viewers to the point where you know, now we're even seeing Black rebooted as Black Sun. So here's the thing: you got two seasons. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So with with Black, Black, one of the things that people tend to remember more than the rest of the show is the, is the drama. And you start out really strong with with like four episodes, and they're written by Shozo Uehara, who also mm. wrote for Gavon, who was also very hard hitting. And for Spider Man too. Yeah, and he was like he was one of the yeah he's one of all the, well, the all time greats and. Um, Uehara did, I mean, did that. He also did Ultraman even too. Oh my gosh. What am I thinking? I gotta, of course I gotta mention his Ultraman stuff. So, but yeah, no, um, Uehara, like, you know, he is known for like these really like, you know, like really leaning into the gravitas, really, really leaning into the drama. And so you have like these very dark episodes at the very beginning and that gripped a lot of people. And then after that, the show kind of gets a little repetitive, but it still manages to be fun because it's like. You know, you have like these creepy bad guys who are basically a cult, who are basically like like the the um, conspiracy theorist idea of Freemasons. You know, you have like you know like and but also at the same time, it's like the aesthetic is really cool. Like you're leaning harder into the horror, and of course it's going to appeal to kids. You know, kids like you know I feel like on some some basic level there are some kids who like to be scared. You know, and I and like that show definitely. Had its share of creepy monsters, um, you know, and I think I can't remember if Kate Amamiya worked on any of those. Like he worked on Black RX, but um, he, but I can't remember. Like I know Ishimori did a lot of those like uh, monster designs as well. Uh, but it's uh, so much of that it just kind of comes together, you know. Like you have Kotaro who he's very stoic, but like you know you keep throwing all this stuff at him, and he keeps managing to come out on top. You know, and I think he's like the embodiment of 
this ideal of Kamen Rider. I think part of like the notion that a whole generation of people had about Kamen Rider was was because of Katara. Like this, like, the idea of the 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 lone solitary hero kind of fighting a one man war, and you know, like there's no Rider Scouts in this. There's no there's no pops. It's all him, and 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 then I you know, and it kind of became the gold standard in that respect. Um, so I feel like that's been a huge part of its perseverance. Um, and so like to translate that to black sun, um, it, it kind of feels like a no brainer, you know, like one, it's like you have the anniversary and then at the same time, you also have just, um, so many interesting world building possibilities and stuff like that you can go with. And for the final product of black sun, they kind of sort of tapped into it, but I I've got feelings about it. I just, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, but I, I like, I don't necessarily loathe it, but it's not high up on my list, but um, it's still a very well executed show uh, for the most part. And, uh, and it really plays on the strengths of black. It, it plays on like the conspiracy and it plays on like the human drama and stuff like that. And at its core, I think that's the biggest draw, but you know, mm. you, for every episode of drama, you have you know the day the tuna disappeared, or you know my mom became a kaijin nanny, or something like that, or the episode where there's a whole plot in order to bear, that's just there to embarrass Japan uh, long enough <laughs> so that way <laughs> they could take over. It was just like oh my gosh, and I'm like if that is not the most. Um, like like the most of its culture uh evil plot <laughs> like i don't know what it is it's like we're going to embarrass japan <laughs> we're not going to disgrace it we're just going to embarrass it <laughs> it's during... oh my gosh now as we wrap up without getting th- into things that you can't talk about if you could wave a magic wand. What's one show that you would want out in Region One tomorrow? Cyber you know, what's your white whale? They're cyber cops. Cyber cops. Oh my God! I want cyber cops in America. <laughs> like, you don't understand how much I want cyber cops in America. I want. I want Disco Tech to release it. I it's want eighty-eight. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I, it's I want. It's not toy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's Toho trying to compete with Super Sentai, and so. Uh, if you are a 90s kid, if you see the designs, they, they look familiar. It's because you probably bought them because they were released as Zap Power Force, which was, I believe, part of an attempt to try and bring it and localize it out to America. But unfortunately, just, well, I, I, just, I think there were a lot of like Sentai, like, even Leopardon uh, was brought over like to American toy shelves. Oh, yeah. Like, under, under the same or different names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because Leopardon was brought up. Yeah. Because you had uh, Godaiken. That, that's why that was a part mm-hmm. of and so, but uh, yeah, no, Zap was different because this was Takara Tomy, and this was like, this was direct on the heels of Power Rangers, and like you could tell they were they were like setting their sights, like you know this was supposed to be a bigger thing, and I remember there was like there was a period of time where like those toys were everywhere, at, at KB Toys, and you th- and, and if you didn't know any better, you thought they were a knockoff, but my you know me, uh, at the time I saw was it Lucifer. And I was like, well, he wasn't called Lucifer in America. He was called Blazord or whatever, some really generic name. And I'm like, oh, he looks like the Giver. And at the time, I was a big fan of Biobuster Armor Giver. Yeah, and so I immediately went for it. And so, um, 
but yeah, like I just have been so enthralled with that for years. And so then, but seeing Cybercops and Cybercops was another one of those like really innovative shows because uh, unlike Super Sentai, they shot entirely on video. And the thing is, <laughs> I, I laugh thinking about it because the thing is, because they shot everything on video, also when they do the miniature effects, it doesn't look great. And sometimes, in some instances, like you can really see like the seams, and it's so incredibly cheesy and and whatnot. But it's also like they're like shooting for the fences for like just what they're trying to pull off in terms of ambition. They're like you know people flying through tunnels. There's time travelers. There's like a, a RoboCop tank. Like a dude's mind who's been put, you know, put into like this this giant like war machine. Um, it's just absolutely bonkers. And I, I love the show so much. And I would love it so much if like Discotech could get it. If 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 they could do that, get just assemble some material, get get the behind the scenes interviews. Um the show was so popular, like in Brazil. That when it wrapped, you know, like years after it wrapped, uh, there's this Brazilian circus that bought the original show suits. Uh, I think there's still restoration efforts to try and fix them up. But I'm like, get circus footage, you know, or get all that material, put that all on one disc or like one set. And I would eat that up immediately or I would love to put that out into the world. Um, failing that, um, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that I really want is already on its way you know so um but like i would if if it was absolutely possible it would be that or seven stars fighting god guyford um i would i would love to get that out there too because that's a very another really unique show um that was pretty really unique with how they did fight choreography uh because it was more rooted in, in like actual martial arts as opposed to stylized and um Oh, it's so good. It's such a good show. It's also kind of wacky, but I also just I, I dig it immensely. So, yeah, so that, that's my, that's my my I, I can't just give one answer. No, I have to give two. So, yeah, yeah, we've but yeah, we've uh, recorded for a good while now and gotten a lot of great stories. Um, I think this is probably a, a good time to uh, maybe start calling it a night. Now, where can our um, our listeners find you? Do you have anything to plug? Oh, yes. Well, there's way too much. Uh, so, <laughs> like I said, I told you you're going to get a two-parter. Uh, so, basically, uh, yeah, you can... So, right now, um, season three of Woken and Demon School, Irma-kun, is on Crunchyroll.com. You can go and check that out. Uh, also, um, Pokemon Masters EX, uh, Elio and Raihan tend to uh, cycle through in terms of rotations of, of characters you can roll for. Please gotcha responsibly. Uh, <laughs> best of luck. Um, barring that, um, Space Sheriff Gavon and uh, Carmander is now available uh, for purchase, and Carmander Black is coming out in February, and you can buy both of those over at RightStuff.com or wherever finer uh, Blu-rays are sold. But you'll get a really good deal if you get it at Right Stuff. Uh, so, uh, and then of course, uh, the Carmander Ryuki Blu-ray, um, which is coming out, uh, which I'm really excited about. That get that at Shot Factory dot com and get yourself a free poster um and then um barring that uh there's my youtube channel uh at uh, vintage henshin and uh, which started up 2019 and and we uh, cover a lot of classic tuxedo media 
Um, we've uh, finished season one finally uh, on uh, with uh, Ode to the Mazer Tank. You can watch that now over at, at uh, bit.ly slash vintagehension, VNH, both in caps, or just look up youtube.com slash vintagehension and you'll be able to find it. Uh, and um, yeah, I think that's the bulk of it. Oh, and then go watch um, the Monstrosities Tokusatsu vlog uh, documentary on the story of Hakaider Last Judgment. You can hear me as the voice of Hakaider for one glorious line. Uh, and I also helped out on the script for that as well and was a, a consultant. So go check that out over at Monstrosities Tokusatsu vlog. Shout out to my good buddy, Mapricat. Really great dude. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, everyone, thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of your friends. Uh, and remember, we're going to say this probably for the next few months. If you or anyone else needs help, call or text the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Have a great one, everybody. And remember, folks, you are not alone. All right, I'm going to stop recording. If you like what you just heard, find us at rangercast.net or look us up in your favorite podcast app. Reach out to us on Twitter or leave a voicemail on our website. The opening theme is by Daniel Park. The ending theme is by me. Rangercast is distributed under Creative Commons license. A tribute and share alike. Mm-hmm.